Dear Lord, thank you for gathering us here this morning. Thank you for our help, all the blessings you bestow upon us, all, all the things that you created, and all, all the things that we get to experience, especially your love, your forgiveness, and your grace. We sit humble before you today, ready to be fed with your word, ready to grow, and walk further with you every day. It's in your name that I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, the name of this one, I've already preached this before, but I've never recorded it. So, uh, I wanted to put this in recording, and I have never preached it here before. So, um, this is a, still a brand new thing for the barracks. Um, it's called Faith Trump's Giftings, and the subtitle is Access to Authority and Power. Okay? <clears throat> you know, have you ever looked at somebody who is uh, playing an instrument, and they'll go, somebody will say, Man, that person is so gifted. I remember somebody saying to me, I, I was an all-state trombone player in high school, and people would tell me, man, you're just so gifted. But they don't understand, you know, when people say gifted, what they're really saying is, it comes naturally. Okay, and a lot of people are envious about this because they're like, oh, it just comes naturally, you didn't have to work hard to get it, and things like that. You know, they'll say, oh, you're just so gifted, oh, you're gifted. And, and what they're meaning is, you had a shortcut. Always just bestowed upon you. Um, there's a problem with this, though. <clears throat> this is not how giftings come. Um, if you study the scripture, we're going to get into a bunch of the stuff here. Uh, in Romans chapter 12, we're going to get to this later, but Romans chapter 12, verse 6. It says that gifts, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. So it says that our gifts come from grace. Alright, now a lot of people will tra translate the word grace as unmerited favor, which means that you're somehow a favorite child, and now you've got a special gift nobody else got, or something like that. Okay. Where I do believe grace to some measure is unmerited. You don't earn it. You couldn't get it by yourself. What that means is it comes from someone else. It's not of you. Alright, so even me preaching, I believe, is a grace that God's given me, and that when I'm up here, I can't take credit for what I'm saying, because I believe it's from the Holy Spirit. However, there's a lot of things that, yeah, I wasn't a great preacher and teacher my first time I preached. And so when people think about this, they say, well, you're going to get a gifting, or you're just going to be good like that. If you ask any musician, if you go to somebody and say, oh, you're a musician, you're gifted in this, there isn't any musician out there that didn't have to work hard to get to where they're at. But what we do, when we say, oh, they're gifted in it, what we're saying is, what we don't, what we don't realize is, is we think we're saying something along the lines of, this guy didn't have to work for it. And this is not true. Everything that you're gifted at, you must develop. Everything that you're gifted at, you must work at. Okay? Just because you have a gift doesn't mean it's easy. I have seen many people get healed through supernatural um, ways that people get healed and set free. But I would not look at you and say that I have a gifting of healing according to what people say. When people say, oh, you're gifted, what they mean is, man, every time I pray for somebody, they get healed. You know, that's what they're thinking. When they say that, oh, you've got a gifting for healing... What they mean, what, what they think, they, through their understanding, is that every time you pray for somebody, they get healed. 
Well, if there's a if there's any people in the Bible, for instance, that that really exemplify that kind of character or that kind of um, results, it would be the, the disciples of Jesus, right? The apostles, the, the big A, the apostles, right? Man, like every time, first of all, every time Jesus prayed, it always happened, right? Have you ever just think about this? There's not been one time in the Scripture that's recorded that Jesus prayed for someone and they didn't get healed. There is one moment in the scripture where Jesus prayed for a blind guy. When he was done praying for the blind guy, he says, what do you see? He says, everyone looks like trees. And Jesus prayed a second time, and the guy got healed. Now, that was very strange to me the first time I read it. I thought, wait a minute. Jesus, the one who operates in perfect faith, had to pray twice for someone. I thought that was very interesting. Now, the apostles, that they would be the next level, right? Oh, I mean, maybe Elijah and Elisha, they have some pretty awesome stuff, but... But a lot, but the disciples, the apostles, they were a little different. The apostles, they man, they saw some crazy stuff. Peter would walk on the road, and his shadow would fall on somebody, and they it says that they would just lay the people out on the ground, and his shadow would come by and touch the the shadow would be cast upon their bodies, and they would get healed. Didn't even have to touch them. Didn't have to pray for them. Just their shadow. You're talking about some pretty cool stuff. Paul would pray over a rag, a little handkerchief, and send it off, and everybody and, and, and pray over the rag, anoint it with oil, send it to all the churches, and everybody who touched the rag would get healed. I mean, some pretty cool stuff. You know, we're talking about the the gifting of healing, right? However, there's also times in the scriptures whenever the disciples would pray for someone, and they didn't get healed. For instance, Matthew chapter 17 and Mark chapter 9. They, kept, they were praying for a guy who, who had epileptic seizures. And in, and in the translations, it says that he had a demon. Okay, And they couldn't cast it out. And Jesus only gave one reason for why they couldn't cast out the demon. And he didn't say, well, you're not gifted enough. He didn't say, well, this is not your gifting. He didn't say that. Jesus never once talked about gifts. Jesus did not talk about spiritual gifts. Jesus did not teach his disciples, some of you are going to get to do this, and some of you are not going to get to do this. He never said that. Jesus also never excluded himself or in, in such a way of, of saying, like, well, this is only for me. Only I can do this. Only Jesus can raise the dead. I've heard people say that before. Only Jesus can raise the dead. Well, what about Paul? He's preaching one day. I don't feel bad when people fall asleep when I'm preaching, because Paul was preaching one day. He must have been super monotone, because somebody fell asleep in the tower, and it fell out and died. It fell out of the tower. He <laughs> hit the ground and died. Paul goes down there and raises him from the dead. And they go back up there and he continues preaching. <laughs> you know. Really? <laughs> the gifts. Jesus didn't talk about gifts. He talked about faith. That's the only thing Jesus talked about. He says, you've been healed by your faith. He says, your faith has made you well. Every time someone got healed, he taught about, he, he's talking about faith. He doesn't talk about giftings. And he never gave an excuse if somebody didn't get healed and said, well, you're not gifted. This is not your gifting. Jesus also didn't say, oh, well, it's not God's time. Jesus didn't give those excuses. Oh, it's not God's will. Jesus never gave those excuses. All those excuses that we always give in church about why somebody doesn't get healed, Jesus never talked about. And I would think to myself, well, if, if we have such a powerful teaching of God's will, well, sometimes it's God's will to heal, and sometimes it's not God's will to, to heal, you would think that Jesus, out of four Gospels, at least one time, would mention how someone may not get healed by God's will. But never once does Jesus ever talk about God's will being a factor of someone being healed or not being healed. 
In fact, the only time he did talk about it was whenever a man of leprosy came unto him, and I think in the Gospel of Luke, it says that a, le a leper came to him and said to him, uh, if, it, if, you, if you will, if it's your will, would you heal me? And he says, I know if you will, you could heal me. And Jesus says to him, I do will. And then he prayed for him, and he received his healing. Uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 40, A leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity. Jesus didn't heal because it was a gift. Jesus didn't heal because it was God's will. Jesus didn't heal for any of that stuff that we come up with. He, he healed because he was full of pity. Jesus was moved with compassion. Jesus healed people because he had mercy on them. Not because, well, you know, God's going to pick and choose. Well, this is the right will of God. God wants you to be healed, and God doesn't want you to be healed. And you know, I can hear God perfectly. Because you know, Jesus heard God perfectly. <laughs> Sorry, I'm about to preach. He heard God perfectly. He never once said that. It says, move with pity. Jesus responded because he loved people. He stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. If you want to have a really solid um, scripture that proves that it's always God's will to heal, that's the one right there. Okay? It's always God's will to heal. The question is, there's still other questions, and we're going to talk about all that on this one, because because this is really going to be an in-depth teaching on faith, and how faith will trump the giftings. Faith trumps what we understand, and I'm going to show you through what Jesus teaches versus what people teach and our understanding. You know, I look at, Jesus is the best teacher. You know what I mean? So his word is going to even, I, I always take the scripture, and I take Jesus, like a pair of reading glasses, and I take the, the rest of scripture, and I put it in light of the reading glasses. If you ever take Jesus out of the picture, and you try to interpret scripture without Jesus, you're going to miss it. You've got to know what Jesus says first, and compare it to Scripture and let Him expound on it. Study what Jesus teaches first. Let that be your anchor. Then read the rest of Scripture and make sure that it lines up with what Jesus is saying. Does that make sense? Jesus is the perfect teacher. Perfect knowledge. Perfect wisdom. Perfect understanding. And the reason why we don't talk about some of this stuff is because we get offended. Because we don't want to say, well, maybe I don't have faith. That's the real reason. People go to church. They're real religious. Bible says, it says, be warned. They will, they'll have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. <laughs> a form of godliness. I think it's in... Let me just look this up. <clears throat> godliness, but denying the power. I'm talking about... Uh, oh, come on. I think it's in Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5 through 7. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Verse 5 through 7, it says that they'll have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. We have to, it says, stay away from such people. You get into Bible teaching and they like, oh yeah, we got godliness here, but we don't really acknowledge the power of God to move right now. In this moment. We don't, we don't believe God to move now. If people are always, every time you pray for somebody and they never see anybody healed, they never see anything happen, and, only, and their, their excuse is always, well, maybe it's not God's timing. Those people never see anything happen. Don't, don't, don't even follow them. Don't talk to them. <laughs> they're only going to create more doubt in your life. I've learned this. My experience is not truth. Facts are not... The facts are not truth. 
It's Jesus' word, the word of God, which is truth. The truth sets you free. If what you believe is set you free, it's not the truth. The truth, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Free from what? Your experience. The truth shall set you free from what you're experiencing. The thing that's right in front of you. The truth shall set you free from the facts. The truth shall set you free from reality. Let there be light, God said. It was darkness when he said that. It was completely dark. What are you talking about, God? You said, let there be light? There's no light around here. It's dark. Let there be light. The truth shall set you free if you know it. You have to know it. If you don't know it, it won't set you free. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Or shall make you free, some translations say. Let there be light. And then there was light. The truth overrode. The truth overrides reality. Okay? Why? Because when God says something, it becomes reality. It becomes truth. It overrides your present reality. That's what faith's all about. Faith is tapping into truth that you're not experiencing. Say that again. Faith is tapping into truth that you're not experiencing. Say that again. Faith is tapping into truth that you are not experiencing. You know, I have a problem with addictions. I can't stop drinking. But you have the truth. The truth is you're a new creation. Your old man has died with his passions, but faith taps into a reality you're not experiencing. The righteous shall walk by faith. So if I'm going to walk in righteousness, I must walk in faith. Why? Because my experience is not righteousness. You hear that? Walk in faith. Why? Because my experience is not righteousness. My experience is not righteous. My, my experience is evil. But the righteous shall walk by faith. If I believe what he said about me is more true than what I'm experiencing about me, and I start to speak it and walk it, and I start saying, no, I am the righteousness of God, Second Corinthians chapter 5. I am the righteousness of God. He says, he made him who knew no sin to become sin, so that I might become the righteousness of God. The old man is dead, and I am now a new creation. You know, whenever Adam and Eve ate of the garden, they ate of the tree uh, in the middle of the garden from the knowledge of good and evil, he says, you won't die. For God knows you'll be like him, knowing good and evil. So they ate of the tree, and guess what? They didn't die. Physically. But they died spiritually. Right? right? So we can say, well, is God a liar there? No, he's not a liar. He told the truth. They were completely, eternally separated from God at that moment. They left his presence. That's life. Scripture says this is abundant life. This is eternal life to know God. Write that down. This is eternal life. This is eternal life. To know, I think it's to know God. I think it's in John. John 17, chapter 3. John 17, chapter 3. This is eternal life to know God. That you might know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. This is eternal life to know God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. To know. To know the truth. The truth sets you free. To know what? So it's funny because now before you're talking about the knowledge of good and evil. But Jesus doesn't want us to know the knowledge of good and evil. He wants, to know us, he wants us to know God. Know God. Know Jesus. Jesus is the perfect wisdom of God. We think because we know good and evil that we got everything figured out. 
And that just leads to pride. But humility says, I don't know nothing. I need God. I want to know God. I want to know wisdom. Let me te Lord, teach me. I think that God would have taught them everything they needed to know about good and evil if they had just known God. But they wanted to know some tree. How can you rule and reign? He gave them dominion over the entire earth. How can you rule and reign if you don't know right and wrong? He's going to teach you. But they want a shortcut. So they doubt God. Did God really say? Anytime you read the scripture. Anytime you read the scripture. Thank you, Jesus. Anytime you read the scripture. And you hear in your heart. Did, did that just say that? Did that really say that? That's the devil. Did God really say? Did he really mean that? Ask anything in my name and it shall be given to you. Did he really mean that when he said that? Believe that you have received and it shall be given to you. Did he really mean that? I find it interesting. We teach on so many things in our churches nowadays that Jesus never taught on. And then the things he did teach on, we just completely avoid. And we avoid because of fear. We're afraid. You know what we're afraid? We're afraid to come in light. When you come to, when you start to really teach what Jesus taught, it is very, it feels condemning. It, it, only if you're prideful. But if you're humble, it's not condemning. You're like, oh man, I need to change. You're willing to let him change you. You're literally willing to let him mold you. But whenever we start hearing the truth of Jesus and he starts speaking to us life and light, then our dark deeds are exposed and the way we think is exposed. And like, oh my gosh, everything I've been thinking is wrong. The way I'm thinking about stuff is not right. You know? I haven't even got to my first scripture on this thing. <laughs> Truth and life. When we come to the light of Jesus' words, we, have, we teach so many things that Jesus did not teach, and then we avoid the things he does teach, because if we did actually come to the light and study what he does teach, then we would have to acknowledge that we're missing something. We'd have to acknowledge that we drastically fall short of this Christian walk, right? Which is sometimes a very, a very humbling thing and scary you know, but it's not supposed to be scary. The Bible says this, if we humble ourselves, he shall exalt us. If we come to him and say, okay, God, I don't got to figure it out. I want to learn. He will exalt us. We don't have to worry about being afraid of God. We can come to him, let him shine light on us, expose our, ourselves, and say, wow, I'm really lacking, and let him put us back together again. You see? We're so afraid of being taken apart, though. It's like whenever, you know, Gilbert torn apart that sand. If he had fixed the sander, this perfect would be a perfect illustration, but he didn't fix it. But anyway, we're so afraid of him tearing apart the sander and like, oh no, he's going to mess it all up. In other words, you don't trust the mechanic. You know? The mechanic's good, though. He's going to take it apart, which we don't like. We don't like that. But then he put it back together again, and now it's working. That's what happens with God. When we come to God, he's going to take us, he's going to tear us apart. And it's going to hurt. It's going to feel like, oh my gosh, what's he doing? I'm getting all bent out of shape and... Oh, this thing is being pulled out of me. I didn't want it to be pulled out. Oh, why are you taking that carburetor out, God? Ah! You know, why are you taking this thing out? I need that. Stop it. That's I've been dealing with that. But yeah, but it's dirty, man. Come on, son. Let me clean this up for you. Submit. Open up. Let me in. Let me take you apart. But it hurts. I won't be taken apart, God. Yeah, but I can't fix you if I'm going to take you apart. It's a good part of a word right here. Humbleness and brokenness. It's a form of brokenness. It's not really broken when you know God's going to put you back together again. It's just scary. That's why I don't like people coming and open up and then leaving quick. We didn't get to put them back together. Don't come in 
open it all up and then run when it gets scary because now you'll be worse off before. You've got to stay in. You've got to let it sink in. You've got to let us put you back together again. Let God put you back together. You know. I remember coming in and looking at the instruments down there in the going down to Sam Gibbs music down there in Wichita Falls, Texas. And uh, I brought my trombone in there to get worked on. I brought my trombone in there. It's like the guy starts taking back aside. I said, "Can I watch?" He goes, "As long as you don't scream." I'm like, what are you talking about? Because I'm gonna take a hammer to your your uh, your uh, trombone here, and people usually can't watch me um, banging on their instruments. But I, I'll look pretty when I'm done. But you're not gonna like what it looks like in the middle. Okay. <laughs> I remember going down there and fixing a a a. a, a Went down to some lady's office down at Howard Payne University. I went with a guy who was doing some construction, some construction work down in her office. And he was tearing out the entire wall and putting in a, putting an entire uh, like a shelving unit and desk and all that stuff. And he's through half of it and he starts tearing out the wall. I'm like, dude, what are you doing? He goes, I gotta make room. This thing's too big. I gotta tear out some of the wall. I'm like, oh, okay. So I'm just sitting there watching him learning. She walks in. She's like, what are you doing? I'm like, man, people just shouldn't walk in in the middle of a project. Just come back again when it's done. It looks pretty. You won't even know it's been done. Because when he tears out that wall and puts it back in and puts a trim there, nobody's even going to know what happened. They don't even know how it did. They don't know how it was done. They just know when it was finished, it looks nice and put together and finished. And that's the same thing with our lives. We get into the middle of it, and, you know, my, you know I remember when we first had the first house over the barracks on, on 4th Street. And my wife would come in, and we were tearing up the, up to, up the floors, and we were leveling the house. We tore out an entire wall in the front wall, put it up on jacks. I mean, you could just see it from the road, just see right in the house. <laughs> was, I mean, but, you know, my wife shows up. She's like, oh, my gosh, what are you doing, Zach? I'm like, you came in the middle of the project. Like, this is not a good time to show up. Just come at the end. If you're not going to have faith, just leave. It's good stuff. You have, to, you have to allow the project to be finished. Imagine bailing right in the middle of that with the jacks holding everything up. Everybody leaves. Now you now you're super exposed. Now you're really hurting because you didn't allow the product to be finished. It's powerful stuff. <coughs> that was all Holy Spirit. I was not intending to talking about that, but um, Holy Spirit hijack. Holy Spirit hijack. <laughs> that was Holy Spirit hijack. Man, that was awesome. So let's try to get back in our teaching here. Faith trumps gifting. So, again, we get down to, you know, people say, oh, man, you're so gifted at, you know, the trombone, or you're so gifted at, in, at your instrument. But you don't understand, there's a lot of work that's involved with playing an instrument. It doesn't just come naturally. Everybody thinks it comes naturally. No, the people who are driven to do well at something, they sacrifice. They work hard. They become good at what they're doing because they practice and work hard. But people, when they say, well, you're just gifted, what they're saying is, I couldn't sacrifice that much. That's what they're saying. They don't know they're saying that, but that's really what they're saying. They're not, they're not saying, I'm not dedicated enough to, to, to do that. So giftings don't come naturally. Giftings come to, with submission. When you submit to a teacher and let him teach you how to play, you'll get a gift. Same thing with, with, with any of the spiritual gifts. <coughs> giftings come with submission. When I say, you know what, God, I need that, I want that, teach me, show me, help me operate in that. That's when those giftings come. So... A lot of people will say this. They'll say, man, well, you can't get, you can't go out and do that, those miracles and stuff without get, getting authority and power from God, right? And they'll say, well, 
A lot of people will even say, man, the first century church, they're casting out demons and performing miracles because that was the first century church, but all the miracles now have died with the apostles. We don't have that stuff nowadays. They'll say stuff like that. They'll say, man, those guys, they had Jesus lay hands on them, and so that's why they're operating in it. That's what they'll say, all this stuff, right? So we're going to go to the scripture, Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, verse 1 through 6. So then he called the twelve together and gave them power. He, so he gave the disciples, twelve, gave them power and authority. Okay? He gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money. Do not have two tunics. <coughs> Whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake the dust off of your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. So, you notice that in this passage right here, the beginning of chapter 9 of the Gospel of Luke, he, he gets all of his people together, all of his disciples together, and he gives them authority. He gives them power. So it makes sense. They walk out. Even the demons um, are, are, are subject to your name when we cast them out, right? So we see it makes sense. If Jesus gave them power and gave them authority, of course they're going to operate in this stuff, right? Yeah, we think, man, I wish Jesus would just do that to me. I have a lot of people say this, man. Well, if God's just going to give me the gift, he's just going to drop it down from heaven. Right? Well, if God's going to give me a spiritual gift of tongues, well, it's just going to happen. Well, try that with salvation. Salvation is a gift, too. It doesn't drop out of heaven. You have to ask for it. Every gift from God must be asked for. Ask, seek, knock. Every gift of God must be asked for. Even salvation. Salvation doesn't happen by accident. It's the greatest gift of them all. Yet we want to pretend that all these other ones that happen by accident, too. And it's just not what happens. God does give them, but we must ask. God doesn't force things upon us. <clears throat> it could even be a desire. The scripture says desire after the spiritual gifts. Faith will move things. If you want it, and you believe you can have it, it'll happen. It's true. So things to notice. He gave them authority. Okay. Uh, he said, in essence, don't prepare for this. Just go. Right? right. In this, this situation, he, just, he says, just go. Just test it. Just go. You don't have to have everything figured out. You just go. Try it. I never, I, never, um, I never got to see anyone get healed unless I went and laid hands on them. And prayed for them. And actually took a step and a risk. I never would have seen it if I hadn't tried it. Take your time with each person. I find this very interesting. Jesus said this. Look, take your time with him. Don't just get in and get out. Take your time. Oftentimes we get too distracted by the big picture of grandeur and we forget about the person right in front of us. 
This is what happened with Jesus whenever he was on the way to heal Jairus' daughter. He's like, I'm going to go heal Jairus' daughter. And he's on his way, right? And all of a sudden, the crowd's pressing in. This woman comes through, pushes through the crowd, touches the hem of his robe. You know, and he's like, stop. Someone touched me. She's like, everybody. The disciples like, everybody's touching you. What are you talking about, Jesus? Like, there's a whole crowd here. Everybody's touching you. She's like, no, someone touched me, and I felt power go out of my body. She turns around and finds this woman. She's ashamed. First of all, she's ashamed because she's on her menstrual period. It's lasting months upon months upon months upon months. And she's embarrassed. First of all, she's unclean. She's not allowed to touch anybody. In the Levitical law, if you have, if you're bleeding um, uh, nonstop, you can't touch anybody. You're you're unclean. So when she touched, she's I'm just going to touch the hem of his garment. Why? She'd be embarrassed to approach him and have him lay hands on her. She said, I'm just going to touch. He won't even know. <laughs> it's kind of cool. And he turns around and finds her and says, Your faith, your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you well. So then he turns around and the men from Jairus' house say, Jesus, don't even bother coming. She's already dead. So we could have been talking about the vision of grandeur, right? Jesus is like, no, woman, I can't stop for you because I'm on my way to heal this other person. I've got things to do. Right? He could have just pressed through. I've got things to do. I'm not going to stop and acknowledge this woman or give her any attention or speak faith to her or give her any kind of counselor or talk to her or let everybody else know about the miracle that just happened. I've got things to do. Move, move, move. Go, 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 go. We're not going to stop. But Jesus valued... Interruptions. Value your interruptions. Oftentimes, they're from God. Oftentimes, they're important. And you never know who you're really talking to and what's going to happen in their life, what kind of impact you're going to have with them. One moment. you got five minutes with somebody. I had somebody sit down with me one time at Mardell's Christian Bookstore down in Wichita Falls, Texas. The guy sat down with me. He says, you know, Zach, sometimes all you have is five minutes with somebody. In those five minutes, whatever comes out of your mouth is, could possibly the mo be the most important thing to ever hear. You need to be ready, instant, in season, out of season, no matter what time of day, no matter what, when it is. Somebody sits down with you, you only have five minutes with them. What are you going to tell them? And it really is a sobering fact. Man, I can only have five minutes with somebody. What am I going to tell them? What life-changing word must they hear when they walk away from me? Your life will be changed forever because I know that I carry the presence of God with me. I believe that. And I know that those people may not be carrying the presence of God with them. And I only have one chance, maybe. They could, it might be my only chance. Every moment counts. That's why Jesus says every idle word will be judged. So we have to be careful what we say. We have to care about the time we spend. It's all important, you know. Value interruptions. All right, so this is Luke chapter 9, verse 1 through 6. This is the point where Jesus gave them power and authority. And everybody's like, look, if you're going to operate in the giftings, you have to get it from Jesus. You have to be um, anointed with power from on high. And you have to lay hands on you or whatever. You know what I mean? But check this out. Luke chapter 9, verse 49. This is just 50, 40 verses later. Verse 49. This is so pretty cool. John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he does not follow with us. In other words, he wasn't there back in verse uh, 6 or whatever, verse, verse 1, when you laid hands on us and put, gave us power and dominion. 
But Jesus said to him, Do not stop him, for the one who is not against you is for you. Okay, so, wait a minute. I thought you had to get this power and authority from Jesus. What about the first 12? The first, these people weren't even following. They weren't even disciples. They weren't even the 72. They weren't even a part of this group. They never said they weren't. They might have heard about Jesus on the fly. They might have even been at one message and then took off and never never came around again. You know what I mean? They might have had five minutes. <laughs> and then they might have heard it in passing. You know, we're gonna do this too. This person needs it. We don't know Jesus. We haven't. We can't get access to Jesus. We don't know where Jesus is. We're gonna do. They tapped into something, dude. 949. Luke 9.49. These people, they, they got something. So I'll put on here. These other people were not a part of that group, right? That were given authority. Neither were we, right? But they were operating on a different level. They understood something that we don't understand. Something that the churches oftentimes don't understand. They understood something. Uh... You know, also another thing to take away from that passage, you don't come against other believers who are preaching about Jesus. Each person must give an account to God about their own walk. And if we're not careful, our differences can get in the way. Jesus, if they're preaching Jesus, it says they can't, I think another part says they can't, can, they can't speak evil about us long if they keep on seeing good things because of my name. This also predated the so-called outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the Acts. Everybody says, well, the Holy Spirit came down and the power came on from on high, right? This predated that. These people were operating in a faith. You know, there. this is also brings up another fact. Elijah. Elijah was pre-Jesus. Elijah was pre-the Holy Spirit, like we talk about, like people often say about, well, the Holy Spirit came in power. Elijah operated in something. <coughs> Elisha operated in something. It's called faith. And when Jesus came... He was expounding and exploding something. He was saying, look, you don't have to be Elijah the prophet to see miracles. You don't have to be Elisha the prophet to see miracles. You don't have to be Jesus to see miracles. All you have to have is faith. This is what Jesus taught. It's huge. Luke, if you study Luke, I think I feel like Luke is more about faith. It actually really expounds more on faith than any of the other, other Gospels. The Gospel of Luke. They all do, but I feel like every time I read Luke, I get supercharged for supernatural stuff. This predated the so-called outpouring of the Holy Spirit. They were operating in a gift that they should not have been operating in. This is very important to see. According to man's standard, they were operating in a gift that they should not be operating in. According to our religious doctrines nowadays, they are operating in a gift that they should not be operating in. They weren't one of the apostles. They weren't even Christians. Faith. Faith trumps everything that we understand about our doctrines. Maybe it's deeper than special gifted people. Jesus never taught his disciples. I already said this earlier. Jesus never taught about spiritual gifts. Um, he only time he really mentioned spiritual gifts was Mark chapter 16. And he only made one criterion for operating in them. Matthew chapter, Mark chapter 16, verse 17 through 18. Mark. He talks about some gifts and stuff, some supernatural signs and wonders. He said, these signs will follow those who believe. So again, he's not saying these signs will follow those who are gifted. He's not saying these signs will follow those who are anointed. He's not saying these signs will follow only my disciples. He's saying these signs will follow those who believe. 
those who believe. Only one prerequisite to you operating in these gifts is you must believe. Those are the guys in verse 49 in Luke chapter 9. Verse 49, they only had one thing going for them, and that's that they believed that when they cast the demon out in the name of Jesus, that it would happen. That's all they had going for them. They didn't have, you know, this great teaching. They didn't have Bible college. You know, they... <laughs> Pretty cool, huh? They didn't have no special teaching. They didn't have a PhD. They didn't go to seminary. They just believed. These signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. <coughs> hmm. <coughs> Very powerful stuff. Alright, so now, it, it, we understand that he gave them power and authority. Okay? So, they believed, here's what I believe they believed. They believed that the name of Jesus um, was powerful. Okay? They, they were like being represented, they were being representatives of Jesus in a sense. Even though they weren't of them, right? They believed in Jesus. They believed that if they represent Jesus, they could cast out these demons. Okay? <clears throat> but you get authority from your authority. See what I'm saying? Authority gets authority from authority. The highest authority is God. Okay? Even the earthly authority, as the scripture says, is established by God. Okay? You only get authority from another authority. You can't come in here and boast yourself. So well, I am this guy. You know, unless you have a commission from a higher authority. Authority comes from a higher authority. Okay, so we're going to break this down. In a sense of how this works. How how does faith work? How, how do these guys operate in an authority that they weren't present to receive? Because they were operating in an authority that they weren't present to receive. So if if the key was to get your hands like, well, I'm going to lay hands on you and give you authority. If that's the key, then how come they were still operating in this authority, but they weren't present to receive? They're, they must have gotten authority a different way. You see what I'm saying? First of all, the authority comes from God, not from a church. The authority comes from God, not from a from a from a from a religious establishment. Does that make sense? The authority always comes from God. Paul himself became an apostle, not because men made him so. He was on his on his horse, riding. Jesus shows up, boom, knocks him off his horse, blinds him, blinded by the light, right? <laughs> No one else could hear what was going on, and he could hear it. Imagine telling people that, how cuckoo you would sound when no one else was a witness. I mean, they saw, if I'm not mistaken, I might be wrong. Don't, don't, don't quote me. I'm just going to say this right now. I have my story kind of slightly uh, not, not right. 
But he gets knocked off his horse, he gets a commission from Jesus himself. Okay? I got that right. Whether the other people heard him or not, I don't know. I know that um, whenever Jesus was being transcended, uh, you know, into heaven and the voice came, the, the disciples heard the voice, but the people around thought it was thunder. See what I'm saying? So, um, Paul is knocked off his horse. <clears throat> I think it's in the book of Acts. Acts 9. Let's go over there. I just want to tell the story right. Paul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. Went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at, at Damascus, so that if he found anyone, any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to, to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He said, Who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, Hearing the voice, but not seeing anyone. Okay, that's where I got my story mixed up. So they heard the voice, but they could not see Jesus. They couldn't see anything. Okay, that's pretty powerful. <laughs> Alright, so they heard the voice, but not seeing anyone. Or they, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand, and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight. And neither ate nor drank. Alright, so this is the point where he receives his conversion experience. Okay? Um, and then Ananias, this guy is a disciple who knows about Saul. He's like, Saul came down here to kill all these Christians. Persecute him. God, God tells him in a vision, hey, go down here and talk to Saul. He's like, this guy's been killing us. Yeah, but I, I, I've set him apart for my vision. Okay? For, for what I've got going on. So he says, uh, and there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. He said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight at the house of Judas. Look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. The Lord said to him, Go. For he has chosen an instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the name of for, the, for my name. So then he went off, goes off, and <coughs> all right. So Saul receives his conversion and his calling from God. The authority comes from God. See what I'm saying? That's my point. All right. So, but what if he heard it but he didn't obey? And he wouldn't receive. You see. It's a matter of hearing the word, then then believing, and then acting, and then you then you start seeing things happen. So, makes sense. All right. So, you gain authority when you gain. Okay. So the the process of gaining authority is called promotion. So, gaining authority. The process is promotion. 
Now, you can be promoted in many different things. You might be promoted in one part of your life, but in another part you're still held back. So there's promotion. It's not just about a title. It's about being promoted in an area in your life. Okay? If you want to operate in this authority, you must know how to be promoted. That's the truth. If you want authority over these things in your life, you must learn how to be promoted. There's only one way to be promoted, and that's through being faithful with the little things. That's what the scripture talks about. He is faithful with little, shall be given much. Grace comes by, our giftings come by grace. We already read in Romans chapter 12, right? What you do this is by learning how we grow in grace. Grace is favor, and we must grow in favor. Grace is how we get the gifts, according to Romans chapter 12, verse 6. These pastors have been used to say that only some people operate in gifts, while others do not. But one thing it states is that they all come by grace. Too often, watch this, too often we use the spiritual gifting list as a disqualification list, rather than a list that gives us hope for what we can have. Make sense? Often, well, that's not my gift. But there's a gift on there, it's called giving. The gift of giving, or the gift of helps. So you're saying, so you don't want to help? Everybody can help. Everybody can give. Well, it's not my gifting. I'm not going to give. How's that going to work? That's like a, see what I'm saying? The gift of service. Everyone can serve. It's a, you see? It's by grace. Does that make sense? So, um, <clears throat> next time uh, we do this, we're going to go a little bit further into how to gain authority, okay? And how to gain promotion. I've given you the short answer. But uh, there's so much more, and we're basically running out of time. But um, God's good, and uh, I think that's good for, for right now. The idea, basically, what the takeaway, the main takeaway is that I think there's a little bit more to it than just a gifting. The gifting is a process of receiving a gift, and that's what this whole teaching is going to be about. There's a process of receiving gifts, and number one, it comes by grace. Grace comes through three things, uh, and we're going to talk more about it later. But grace comes through humility, knowledge, and faith. Humility, knowledge, and faith. And so we'll talk more about that later, but um, we've got plenty of time to talk about this subject. So, praise God. Amen. Hey, thank you for watching and listening to this message. Be sure to hit the like button, share it to your friends, and subscribe to our channel for more content every single week. And if you haven't yet, be sure to visit our website at bombzs.com. We have a lot of content there and a lot of things that are absolutely free. So be sure to utilize us as much as possible. We hope that you were blessed by this message. Till next time, have a blessed day.